heads are bowed, your eyes are closed, distractions are removed. We've been walking through this series on the Holy Spirit for the last several weeks, and tonight, this morning, we're going we're gonna to wrap it up. And as I told you last week, and I've been leading up to this, this, this service is going to push you. And it's meant to push you because when we talk about the Holy Spirit, it can't be an abstract idea. It can't be just wise words. It can't be, oh, I just learned something new. It has to be life application. And this morning is a life application. And for some of you, it's going to freak you out a little bit, and I'm okay with that. Because unless the Holy Spirit really gets a hold of us in an actual way, everything else is just noise. I love Judah's testimony because it's exactly what God wants to do. Is He wants to take our lives, which we think can be messes, which we think can be lost, and he can redeem it. He can call us out of our death into life. And that's what the Spirit of God wants to do. And there are those this morning that I know that God has been scratching at the, at the very outskirts of your consciousness. He's been speaking to you. He's been breaking down barriers. But this morning is where he really wants to bring it home. Holy Spirit, we invite you now. We ask you come in your power and in your strength. Lord, we pray against any distraction in Jesus' name. God, we ask right now that you would come and that you would restore to us life. Lord, as that video clip we saw that you spoke at Lazarus, who was dead, came back to life. God, speak into our lives as well and bring us from death into life because that's what we want. Jesus, you promised life more abundantly, but you said to us as well that that life will be found in the Spirit. And I pray, Holy Spirit, right now, you'd speak to every person's heart and mind this morning. God, that you would restore life to us once again. Lord, to the broken, I pray for healing. Lord, to those who have a physical need, I pray for healing. Lord, for those who emotionally need a touch from you, God. Lord, for those who are dead in their faith. Lord, that have a form of godliness, but deny the power of God. I pray in Jesus' name, Holy Spirit, that you would revive in us the joy of our salvation. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we're going to wrap up our uh, series, and the series has been called um, um, Fire Within, and again, just the idea behind it, talking about the Holy Spirit. Um, you want to take some notes this morning. It's going to be a very interesting morning, and I, I promise you that um, I hope and my prayer is that every one of you will leave here this morning. I changed and transformed. Let's recap. Uh, let's recap from the very beginning of the, uh, of the series. I started off with a quote by Hudson Taylor, and it said this. Since the days of Pentecost, has the whole church ever put aside every other work and waited upon him for ten days that the Spirit's power might be manifested? We give too much attention to method and machinery and resources and too little to the source of power. We have to understand as the church, it's not about the performance. It's not about whether things go well. Our drummer was playing with screwdrivers this morning because we forgot drumsticks. And guess what? At UCC, we're so okay with that. We're okay. The little feedback comes. We're okay if things go. Why? Because God does not inhabit our resources. He does not inhabit our machinery. Instead, he is above and beyond. And so what we need to understand at UCC, we want to be a spirit-led church. And please understand, even we don't know what that means. We say that to you, but you need to understand is that we don't know what the Spirit's doing in our church. We are way beyond what we expected, but we also know, too, that we still haven't really arrived what God wants for us. So we want, as a church, to set aside all the things that can hinder us and thinking that, you know, whether it's how, how slick we speak. Judith mentioned something that, you know, she can't remember what I said. 
But she remembers from God speaking to her. Can I tell you something? That's exactly my prayer every time I speak. Is that you wouldn't remember my words, but you would remember the Holy Spirit. And it's funny, as, as, as a pastor, as a, as a professional preacher, I spend a great deal of time working on my sermons, but I don't take so much uh, of my sermons. When people come to me afterwards, like, well, that was a great sermon on grace. Well, actually, no, that was on judgment. Uh, that was a great sermon on love. Actually, no, that was on, on the prodigal, right? But what happens when I preach and when I teach, and hopefully what every pastor preaches and teaches, is the Holy Spirit comes and takes something of what we say and applies it to your heart. I may not have said it. I may not have, have designed the sermon around that. But God is working, and he's moving, and he's changing, and he's taking what I say, whatever it would be, and he's taking it and applying it the way that you need it. So, as Judas said, I don't remember what he said. I hear that so often, and because I'm pretty secure with who I am, uh, I'm okay with that statement. Please remember, uh, I don't want my words to remain. I want God's word to remain in you. And that's really what we're trying to go for here. We started off as well with looking at this passage from John chapter 3, verse 5 to 6. We unpacked it last week, but we started off the series with this. Jesus answered, very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to the spirit. We talked about this last week when Judith mentioned it in her testimony. But the idea is this. There are Christ followers in North America, in this world, who have encountered Jesus. That's the water, the repentance, right? John the Baptist, he came preaching repentance, that he wanted to call people to repent. And that's great. You need to repent. Repentance in the Greek is a Greek word, metzneo, change in direction. It's a 180 change in direction. That's great. But that's only the start. That's not what the, the full uh, revelation that God intended, that we start that change in direction, but then we move in that direction. And as we move in that direction, that is the second part, the spirit. And spirit gives birth to the spirit. The flesh gives birth to flesh. I said this in our, in our Acts series back in September. The church is a supernatural entity. Stop trying to think of what we do here this morning in the natural. When you do that, you get frustrated because people let you down. They, they, they mess up. They screw up. And you're like, ah, oh, how, how can I exist in such, a, such an organization? This is supernatural. You are supernatural. And until you wrap your mind around that, you will be frustrated because you will never be strong enough not to sin. You will never be strong enough. You'll never be wise enough to have the words to say. You will never have what you need to live as a Christ follower in this world apart from the Holy Spirit. And the problem is too many Christ followers are trying to walk through this world in their own strength and their own power. And they fall flat on their face. And then they have the nerve to get angry at God. God, how dare you? Why, why, why am I this feeling this way? Why is this happening in my life? God, didn't you call me to this? Didn't you ask me for this? And God's like, yes, but you forgot that you need my spirit, my presence, walking with you, going with you. Please hear me very clearly on this. You are ill-equipped to be a Christ follower in your own strength. You can't do it. But the Holy Spirit's job, his, his function in our lives is that we don't do it in our own strength. And you know what? The Holy Spirit in a person's life, failure is not as severe. Why? Because it's not the end of the story. When you fall, when you fail, if you fall and fail in your own strength, it feels like the end of the world. But when you fall and you fail with the Holy Spirit, he picks you back up and going, okay, I knew this was coming. I'm infinite. I know. But let's do that. Let's try this again. So what you need to understand is the Holy Spirit is so vital in our lives. And then unless we embrace that, unless we start walking what the Spirit wants for us, we will be nothing more than a than, than machine. 
a church machine. And that is the last thing we want to be at UCC is a church machine. We talked about the gifts of the Spirit last week. And we uh, had this diagram. And thank you so much for those of you who sent me some emails and some conversations about this and the way I explained it. And what I hope you understand is that the, the, the fruit of the Spirit, that's the internal change that God wants to do. These are the ways that God is trying to change you internally. Right? Those, 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 those impulses, the behavior, the thoughts, the Holy Spirit wants to wrestle. Remember, we looked at Galatians 5. The, the Spirit is wrestling with our flesh. You need to understand there's a battle going on inside of you. Sometimes you win, sometimes you lose. And when you lose, that's a good thing. That means the Spirit wins. And that's what we want, right? So the Spirit of God, the fruit of the Spirit is the internal change. The gifts of the Spirit is the external working of that internal change. Now, I said this last week as well. And many of you were kind and uh, didn't press me on this. But you, you can. I'm okay with that. I said to you, there's no such thing as a gifts test. If you've ever taken a gifts test in your church and in a previous, wherever you are, I just want you to know, and I want you to be clear on that. UCC, we don't believe in gifts tests. We believe that God wants to use us as he wants to use us in every, whatever function he wants to. We put no limitations on what God wants to do in our lives. And he may do something in your life only once, but that's to his glory, not ours. Because remember the next thing we talked about, we are straws, we are not batteries. And when I talked about that, as I meant to say, that we are empty of our own. You do not possess spiritual power. If you possess spiritual power, you could do things on your own, but you can't. But please hear me. That's the point. You can't do anything on your own. You need the Spirit. Now, when we talk about the straw, one thing you need to understand is there are different kinds of straws. If you do a study on straws, there's bendy straws, there are coffee straws, there are big, big gulp straws, or there are milkshake straws, right? You ever try to have a milkshake with a regular strike straw? You're like, and you get purple in the face before anything actually comes out, right? There are different kinds of straws. In this room this morning, there are different kinds of straws. Maybe you're the coffee stir straw. Maybe you call that a stir stick. It's actually a straw. You didn't know that, right? Uh, well, maybe you did. Don't try to drink coffee through that straw, though. It's very odd, right? But the other thing is, that's a straw. It's a very narrow, narrow entrance. It's only, only a little bit of liquid can flow through it, but it's still a straw. That's some of you. When we talk about the Holy Spirit, it freaks you right out. We were praying this morning, and, uh, and I, I said to uh, our, our elders and our, our, our leadership team this morning, we're praying because uh, we're going to do something at the end. We're going to have some, a prayer time at the end. And I said, you know, we don't know what God's going to do. And, of course, the Baptist in our group is like, I, I don't know what's going to happen. And like, it's okay. God loves Baptists too. He's trying to work with you, but he loves them as well, right? The idea is that we are all straws, but the thing is, though, the idea is that we move from, you know, a little stir stick straw to something more, that the Spirit of God can pass through us more every day. That's what we want. So even though we are straws, we, we, we want to be larger capacity straws. We want more of God's presence to move in our lives. That's the reality. So when I said that we are straws, that we are not batteries, we are not straws, um, I, I meant that. And please hear me as well, too. When I say that you are a straw, you are empty of the presence of God. And, and what I mean by that is not like, well, it doesn't mean the presence of God walks with me. Yes, but when we're talking about the manifestations of the Spirit, we're talking about the outward action of the Spirit, it's God's, it's God, right? He owns it. It's His power that He wants to work through you. And the reason I say that to you is because when you've prayed for something, when you've for something and it has not happened if you prayed for healing if you prayed for this you prayed for that you prayed for a husband a wife or pray that God would take your husband or your wife either way you know which, whichever way you want to do um, no of course you wouldn't pray that um, 
Whatever it is that we are praying for, what you must always understand is God owns the power, not you. You pray in faithfulness, but you do not own the outcome. We do not own the outcome. This morning, we're going to have a time of prayer, and really, it's going to be six straws at the frontier. We don't own the outcome. We don't know what God's going to do. I don't own God's power, and thank goodness I don't, because I would bring back dragons. I think that'd be so cool. Um, but I don't own God's power, but God does. I'm a straw, and I will, be, I will be a faithful straw, and hopefully, my capacity will grow as my faith and my trust in God grows. But as a straw... I don't own what is passing through me, but in faithfulness, I will be a straw. And if the outcome does not happen the way I think it's going to happen, I will still trust God. Remember when Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are about to be thrown into the furnace? I love this phrase. This is, this is, this is going to be, not tattooed on me because that, that would be weird. But it's, I, I got to put this somewhere that the Shadrach looks at the king and says, King, our God is able to save us. But even if he doesn't, we're still not going to worship you. That should be our attitude as Christ followers. Our God is able to do whatever. Whatever you ask, God can do. But if he doesn't, will you still love him? Will you still trust him? Or do you think God's just your big ATM in the sky? And I I confess to you, I have to wrestle with that myself. I I, I preach, I say really spiritual sounding prayers. But what I really need to say is, Lord, I don't know. I don't know what your plan is. I don't know what your will is. But because I'm a straw, I don't own it. And because I don't own it, I release it to God and I still trust in him. This morning, we're going to wrap up the series with uh, a passage of scripture that you've probably have, have heard before. But I'm, I'm going to hope maybe reveal some light to it. It's Ezekiel chapter 37. You have your Bibles. You can take out Ezekiel chapter 37. It's the very famous passage, the Valley of Dry Bones. Um, and, and this morning, I, I, I want to use this as a metaphor, as an idea. I love that video clip of Lazarus there. I, I just... I think in, uh, of all the videos I've seen of it, I think that one captures the most closely the moment of Lazarus' resurrection. Now, remember something, right? Jesus is still working on, uh, on convincing people who and what he is, right? Mary and Martha and Lazarus. And, and one day I'll do a sermon series on those because those three had a very special relationship to Jesus. And, and I'll explain to you what that looks like, right? So Lazarus is dead. And I love that moment where they remove the stone from the tomb and everyone covers their nose. Why? Four days in a hot oven. You know, you don't have to watch CSI to know what, uh, what happens to a body that decomposes in that level of heat. So as soon as they remove the stone, what are they doing? They're covering their noses. Why? The smell of death is reeking out of that tomb. And then there's that moment where God says, Lazarus, come out. Everyone's waiting to see what happens. But I bet you, I guarantee you, that most of you are like, this is really a sick joke. This is really inappropriate at a funeral. And this guy actually loved this family and he's doing this to them. There's that one moment of like, what is going to happen here? What is Jesus doing? I wonder if his disciples are like, oh, Jesus, please, why are you doing this now? Let's just go talk about the kingdom of heaven again. That's a good one. Tell a story about someone sowing seeds. That's a, that's a crowd pleaser. But this, this is awkward, Jesus. There's that moment where, where faith becomes sight. But then, of course, Lazarus walks out. And I love the reaction of the, cr- uh, the crowd. In the movie, the guy that runs up to unwrap uh, Lazarus is, is, is Thomas. Of course, doubting Thomas, right? And I love his face. He looks at Lazarus. He looks at Jesus. It's this look of shock. Like, who is this man? Who is this being? Who is this person that has authority over death? Who is this person? Jesus speaks to Lazarus and calls he speaks life into death. And that's really the idea this morning is I want God to call us from 
death into life. So the valley of dry bones of Ezekiel chapter 37. Before we can talk about Ezekiel 37, you got to look at Ezekiel 36. Because Ezekiel 36 actually frames Ezekiel 37. Because what you need to understand about Ezekiel 37 is, this is a vision that God gives um, the prophet Ezekiel about the future. But Ezekiel 36, God gives a context of the vision. Let me show you a scripture from Ezekiel um, 36 verses 24 to 27. This is what God says to Ezekiel. For I will take you out of the nations. I will gather you from all the countries and bring you back into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all impurities and from all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from your heart a stone and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. Now, I want you to stop here. I want you to see something here, okay? Remember I said to you that there's an encounter with Jesus and then there's following the Spirit? Look at the first part here, okay? I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from all your idols. That is the baptism of repentance. What's he saying here is I'm going to clean you from the exterior. I'm going to clean what is impure for you. That's a baptism of repentance. That is the a moment of time where Judith and where everybody shared the story and where I and, and those of you who are Christ followers this morning, you at one moment in time go, you know what? I'm going to give Jesus a chance. I'm going to make this decision to follow Christ. That's that moment. But then look at the second part. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. Why? Because that's what the Holy Spirit does. Remember we talked about law and grace, law and grace. The Holy Spirit, part of his job is to convict us. Because apart from what you may understand is that you're not perfect. And God's not okay with your sin. But the problem is though, is that we stop there and go, oh, well, God's not in a religion, he's in a relationship. Really? That's infantile. Because that's not really what the Bible says. The Bible says that the Holy Spirit comes along and takes law and grace and applies it to us equally as we did. So in sometimes in your life, you need grace and God comes along. And, and, and Judith was able to share this morning her testimony, even though she's had a really rough night. Why? Because the Spirit of God is applying grace to her because she needs it in order to share her story. You need it. When you get up in the morning, you need grace. But there are times in your life when you mess up. That's where God, the Spirit comes along going, this is not God's ideal. And he applies the law to us. And we feel that spirit of conviction. But he doesn't leave us with the spirit of conviction. He gives us grace and says, this is how I come alongside of you now and show you what you could be, what God wants for you. Well, Ezekiel 36, that's exactly what God is saying to the prophet. I'm going to sprinkle water on you. It's going to cleanse you. Great repentance. But then I'm going to take your heart of stone out and give you a heart of flesh. Beautiful imagery there. So let's jump into Ezekiel 37 now. Now that that has given you context for what I hope is, is really what we've been talking about this entire time there. Ezekiel 37 uh, verse 1 says this. The hand of the Lord was on me and brought me out by the spirit of the Lord and set me in the middle of a valley. It was full of bones. Now, some of you can have weird dreams. You know, again, the whole idea of, you know, riding a unicorn with a fish coming out of a rainbow and speaking to you. That was a joke I made last week. But this idea is that we all have dreams, right? But Ezekiel is, is taken in, in, a, in a vision from God and the spirit of God. Look, the spirit of the Lord, right? The spirit of God takes Ezekiel from wherever he is and he brings him to this valley. Now, if you've ever seen photographs of war, of, 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 of places where, where death has taken place, you see just, just, just 
I, I want you in your mind to envision this place where there's this valley where, like, where, 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 where grass isn't grown, but through the dirt is peaking white, white bones, just, just dry white bones all over the valley. And you're looking around the valley and you're seeing death everywhere. And I, and I wonder if Ezekiel thinks himself, what battle took place here? What army came in and, and wiped out all these, these soldiers? Because how else does death come to a valley? A death comes to a valley because there's a battle. We don't all migrate. We're not like elephants. We go to our graveyard together. And we all die together. Instead, the only place where multiple people die is in some sort of catastrophe or a battle. But I think God is speaking to a battle because he gives a hint to it later on in the scripture. So a battle has taken place here, and every warrior has died. The, the victorious army has moved on, and Ezekiel's looking across, and he's seeing all these bones, these white parched bones peeking from the dirt. It's kind of, a, it's kind of an apocalyptic vision uh, of, of, of death. But now look at this. God asked Ezekiel a question. Look at this. He led me back and forth among them, and I saw a great many bones on the floor of the valley, bones that were very dry. Now, it's a very interesting phrase. Why dry bones? Like, isn't it enough to say there's a valley of bones? That's death. And you're like, that's, that's terrible enough. But for some reason, Ezekiel noticed something. As he's looking at the bones, he realizes he's seeing striations going through the bone. There's something, there's something different about these bones. They're not just bones. They're dry bones. Well, what's interesting about dry bones is when you start studying what the condition of dry bones is, here's what you realize. With age, the protective coating cartilage wears thin, allowing two bones to rub together. If any of you suffer from arthritis, if any of you suffer from uh, any, any, any part that where, where, where the cartilage and bone athletes, like your knees, they, they will feel it more, right? It's when, when bones dry up, there's a pain to it. And I witnessed this. My, my, my mother, before she passed away, she suffered literally 30 years of, of, of a severe rheumatoid arthritis. Every time she moved, it was excruciating pain. Her hands had curled up into claws. She couldn't even use them anymore because of how, how the arthritis was rampant through her body. But what's interesting is that when you study this in a medical way, you realize that arthritis and, and these bone density issues are, are issues that if you have these disease, this disease, if you have it in your body, it, it affects everything. It affects everything. And with the dry bones and arthritis, it's not just a, it's, it's going to kill you in a, in a couple of years. You will live with this suffering for years upon years upon years. But as Ezekiel's walking through this valley, he's seeing these dry bones. He's seeing this, this, these bones that are different. They're just, not just bones, but there's dry. Dry bones are brittle, cannot endure full range of emotion, of emotion, are in constant danger of breakage. I wonder if God is letting see Ezekiel something. That whatever battle took place here, these soldiers were unfit to fight. These soldiers walked into battle diseased. These soldiers walked into battle, and, and I don't know if you can just, if you can envision this, a soldier trying to hold on to a sword and a shield, but their body is so, um, is so dry, it's brittle, that there's pain. Like, how do you stop a charge of a, an opposing army if all you can think about is a pain in your joints? This, this army deserved to die because these soldiers were unfit for battle. This valley of dry bones is a valley of, 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 of an army that was defeated even before it met its, its enemy. Just imagine this vision that, that, that God is giving Ezekiel here. 
uh, of what's taking place. Now, of course, God asks Ezekiel a question in verse 3. He asked me, son of man, can these bones live? I said, sovereign Lord, you alone know. Now, that shows Ezekiel's faith because my response is, heck no. These bones are dead. And not only are they dead, they're dry. No way can these bones live again, God. No way can these bones actually do anything productive and again their time is gone god what we need to do is set up tombstones now all uh, all across the valley because these people are dead no there is no there is no life in the bones but ezekiel has faith he says only you know god i I love that response i that would be my response because i'm more of a skeptic i'm like no lord these bones are dead but ezekiel instead says no only you know god only you know then he said prophesy to these bones. It's an interesting word, right? Now, what you have to understand is when you read the Bible, words mean something. And sometimes you overlook the words, go, oh, prophesy, oh, that, that, that's a very spiritual word. I don't know what it means, so I'm going to pass over. But something spiritual happened there, but I'm not going to really wrap my mind around what happened. We need to kind of study the Bible a little deeper. Now, remember, God could have said to Ezekiel, say to the bones, because God in previous times and prophets would say, speak to this, say that. And the prophets would say, okay, that's what I'm going to do. But instead, God says to Ezekiel, prophesy to the bones. Now, prophecy has two places within the Old Testament. One is to talk about sin, right? God's justice comes out of his prophesying. His, his, his prophets would go to the people and would not speak about the future necessarily. They would say, you are involved with sin. And this is where God's calling you out of that. But the secondary part of prophecy, and again, remember, Ezekiel 36 has framed this for us. This is a future event. So God says to Ezekiel, listen, Ezekiel, talk to these bones. You know, I almost imagine that Shakespeare moment of, you know, of, of uh, Hamlet holding uh, uh, that, that skull, poor York. I knew him well. He was a man of infinite jest. That's all I know. Um, right? It's just Ezekiel looking to these bones, and he's like, and God says, prophesy to these bones. What God is saying to Ezekiel is, as they are now, they will not be in the future. Prophesy, the future is better than the past, Ezekiel. Prophesy that the defeat that these bones felt at this moment in time is not their end game. Remember, Ezekiel's like, God, there's death all over here. And not only is there death, these bones are disease-ridden. They're dry. They're brittle. What, can, what, can, what good can come for them? And God says, Ezekiel, prophesy. Speak of a future that is not yet existing yet. You know what's interesting about that? Is God prophesies over your life. And that word could freak you out. But how I want you to understand it is how Ezekiel understood it. Is that what God is saying is your future is not dependent upon your past. You have messed up, screwed up. You have fallen flat on your face. You, you, you struggle with sin daily. But God prophesies to you saying, listen, that's not your future. That doesn't have to be your future. Ezekiel prophesy to these bones. It's such an amazing phrase there. Then, of course, Ezekiel does what God says and he prophesies. But look what he says. <laughs> Dry bones. He doesn't speak to the people. He's speaking to the bones as if they are people. Dry bones. Hear the word of the Lord. This is what the sovereign Lord says to these bones. I will make breath enter you and you will come to life. I will attach tendons to you and make flesh come upon you and cover you with skin. I will put breath in you and you will come to life and you will know that I am the Lord. Now, just one thing real quick here. Tendons. Remember I said to you that dry bones are, are, are bones that are, are grating against each other? God is healing the bones as he's causing flesh to come on the bones there. I will put breath in you and you will come to life. See, it's not enough to physically heal 
these bones. It's not enough to cover these bones with flesh. Because if, you, if they stand up, they're still dead. Because then God says, I'm going to put my breath in you. Right? Now, now look at this, right? In verse 8. I looked and tendons and flesh appeared on them and skin covered them. But there was no breath in them. God had taken these bones and made beings, men and women, standing up in the valley. And again, what an incredible sight. Ezekiel is just, he's witnessing something that no one else has ever seen. These people stand up, but they stand up and they're empty. There's this, there's this glazed look about their face. There's no life in them, right? And so they stand up, but there's no breath in them. It's in verse 10. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and breath entered them. They came to life and stood up on their feet. And look how they stood up on their feet. A vast army. That's how we know what they were beforehand. They were an army that were defeated. They were defeated by themselves because they were diseased, but they were defeated by an enemy who could overcome them easily. And God calls this army and says, I need you to stand up. I'm going to heal you, but my breath needs to be in you. You need life once again. And again, this, the word breath there, and again, not to go too deep into it, is this idea of what God spoke into a Genesis account. When God breathes his spirit in us. Remember we looked at that? The ruach, the, 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 the spirit of God into us. That's what's happening here. Is God is raising a vast army, but he's putting his spirit, his breath in this army to make it something more. But now look at this, right? The army speaks out. They say, our bones are dried up, our hope is gone. But look at this, we are cut off. It's interesting, right? What do you mean they're cut off? Cut off from what? You just got your bodies back. You just, you're not like, <gasps> you're breathing again. What's the problem? The phrase cut off is very interesting because the bones understand something they didn't understand the first time. It's the same thing that Moses said to God. Remember we looked at this in Exodus? Remember when God said to Moses, Moses, there's a promised land. Go get him, tiger. And Moses is like, yeah, about that. Unless you go with us, God, we're not moving from here. Because your presence is what separates us from everybody else. Your presence, your spirit, God, is what separates us from everybody else. And God, I'd rather stay in the desert. I'd rather stay in this place of suffering with your presence than go to the prize, the promised land, without you. This army stands up and they say something. Lord, we've learned our lesson the first time. We don't want to be cut off from relationship with you. We don't want to be cut off from your presence, your spirit in our lives. The army stands up and saying, yes, we have all this. Our hope is gone. We are cut off. And of course, God's response to that, I will put my spirit in you and you will live. This entire series is really about God calling a group of people with dry bones. An army. And God wanting to put his spirit in us. So often we go through our lives without God's spirit. And, and again, I understand Pentecostals have freaked you out. Or, you know, you're thinking like there's going to be a box of snakes up here we're going to handle. And all that kind of. That'll be next week. Um, that'll be the petting zoo for the kids. Uh, no. We think to ourselves, you know, we, 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 we fear the spirit. The reason I've been using clips from the Jesus movies. Because I said to you, the most spirit-filled human being was Jesus. And as you open yourself up to the spirit, you don't become some crazy person. You become Jesus. And that's the point. The spirit of God is pushing you towards Christ-likeness. You resist him. You fight him. 
that 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 process is slowed it is it is it is warped and then you let you have dry bones you're brittle and you're like why why can't i have victory why can't i understand this because you need to open yourself up to the spirit i love what hebrews uh 12 uh 20 to 29 says Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe. For our God is a consuming fire. I love that image of God being a consuming fire. I love the imagery of fire throughout the Bible signifying what God wants to do. Because fire consumes. Fire burns away. When I was, uh, I used to work at a company called Kitchener Printing. And this back in printing company before the digital age where they actually used a printing press. And they actually used lead. And you, what you'd do is you would create lead ingots and you'd, you'd, you'd space the letters. And then you'd actually like, like would, would, would create uh, an impress of, of, of lead. But the problem is, is after the lead was used for that, it had to be melted down again so it could be reused. So what I used to do is, at my job was, is I would take this dirty um, ink, lid, uh, ink uh, um, uh, splotch lead and I'd put it in this big kiln. And you turn it on, and you put all this dirty... It was, it was silver at one point in time, but it's blackened because of the ink. And you put it in this kiln, you turn it on, and you wait. And you hear this... Because you could, you could tell that, that uh, it was working, right? And then what you would do is you'd flip the lid open after about 20 minutes, a half hour, and it's all black on top. And I had this skimmer. And the skimmer, what it would do is that you'd go through the top there, and I would remove it underneath it. It was this beautiful silver lead. Now, of course, it's deadly and... I probably got lead poisoning from that, but that's, uh, that's a whole other lawsuit. No, um, it was amazing to me how this dirty, warped, broken metal would go into this kiln, and the heat of it would, 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 would separate the impurity from its, what its natural state was. And, and, and so what I would do then is there was a spigot on the bottom. You'd open it, and it had this, um, these ingots uh, trays, and you'd pour it. And, you, and, and my job was to open the ingot and pour the lead, and it came out silver and beautiful, and you'd use it once again in the process. See, the fire of God is consuming our, our, our lives, and that's the point. Is he's trying to separate what is, what is broken in us from what is pure. And it doesn't matter how far you've fallen. It doesn't matter the mistakes you've made. It doesn't matter about the, the, the decisions you made in your past. It's always a step towards what God wants for you. Our God is an all-consuming fire. I made reference to this passage of Scripture, and I want to give it to you context. 1 Timothy 1, 6-7. Remember, Timothy is Paul's letter uh, to his, his mentor, to his, his young pastor. And he says this to him. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For the Spirit of God does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. God is saying to Timothy, Timothy, you need more of the Holy Spirit in your life. Fan into flame the gift of God. Every one of you have the gift of God in your life. And for some of you, it's this, it's this, if you've ever seen a campfire, it's just this orange glow underneath this pile of white, of ash. And of course, you know, those of you who are people who are, of, of camping outdoors, you know what to do, right? You put kindling on and you, you blow into this little spark and you add fuel to it so that it can become a flame again. Paul is saying that to Timothy. Timothy, listen, every day you need to fan into flame the gift of God in your life. And that's what we need to do as Christ followers. We need to pray, Spirit of God. Fan into flame. Lord, I've got a little spark. God, my spark has even gone out. I've made some decisions. I've fallen away from you. And God's like, come back. 
come back. Let me close here, kind of set up what we're going to do this morning. Acts chapter 19, Acts chapter 8. These are the two verses that launched this series. I didn't show you these passages. You could have read on, but I'm going to guess many of you didn't. This passage is what we want to do this morning. Remember, Paul encounters a group of people, believers, that have not received the Holy Spirit. So what does he do? He lays hands. Same thing in Acts chapter 8. Paul said John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. He told the people to believe in the one coming after him, that is, in Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. When Paul placed his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them. Back in Acts chapter 8, then Peter and John placed their hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. I'm going to ask the worship team to come on back up here. Let me kind of explain to you what we're going to do this morning. Remember I told you that I'm going to push you, I'm going to stretch you. What we want to do is, obviously, if you've noticed, that the worship was a little bit shorter this morning. And the reason we did that is because we want to do a time, we want to have a time of prayer. I'm going to ask the uh, pastors, the elders, and uh, Joel to come on up. We're going to have a time of prayer. Here's what I want you to do. Here's what I want you to understand. When we talk about the Holy Spirit, it cannot be a talk of, oh, that's interesting. I didn't realize that about Ezekiel 37. Wow, my, my brain is now expanded to what God wants. Because that's not what the Holy Spirit wants. The Spirit of God wants to get a hold of us. He wants to change us. He wants to transform us. And just to be clear on this here, the laying on of hands is something that we see throughout the Bible. And the people at the front here, our pastors, our elders, and Joel, our prayer director, we have been praying this week. We've been praying through the series for this moment in time because this moment in time is really what we've been gearing towards. As this moment of time is simply this. Six straws saying, Lord, use us this morning. What we want to do this morning is we want to pray with you. We want to invite you forward for prayer. Now, for some of you, you're like, whoa, whoa. I actually came here because I thought there was a movie on. I didn't know what's going on here, right? So I'm waiting for the movie to start. Um, Please hear me on this. This is going to be uncomfortable for some of you. But for some of you, the Spirit of God has been speaking to you through this series. And you need you need this moment of saying, okay, God, I'm going to ask you to meet this need in my life. Now, we are going to lay hands on you and we're going to pray for you. And we're actually going to anoint you with oil. Again, oil is another metaphor for the Holy Spirit. Please hear me on this very clearly. We are not guaranteeing anything. We don't know what's going to happen. <laughs> it scares me a little bit. It excites me even more. You stepping out and asking for prayer is not saying I'm perfect not that I have it all together. You stepping out of prayer saying, Lord, I want you and your spirit to be released more in me. Maybe some of you here this morning, you need prayer. You need healing. You need physical healing. We want to anoint you with the oil and we want to pray. Now, will you be healed? I have no idea. We are straws. Don't ask a straw about where the power comes from. It comes from God. But we're going to be faithful in that. Some of you, you are a valley of dry bones. It's been so long since you felt God's presence, his power, the joy of the salvation that God's given you that you need to have that moment in time. You're stepping out from the aisle to come forward for prayer. We're not going to make you. We're going to pray with you. It's going to be a brief prayer. You can go back to your seats. That's all that's going to happen. And then you can sit in your seat and you can continue worship. Our worship team has some worship and they're going to lead us through that. But all we really want to do is ask you to have a step of faith. That's really what this is all about. It's saying, God, I step out in faith. I'm going to ask someone to pray for me. I don't know what's going to happen. This is not outcome-based prayer. We do not own God's power. But instead, we as his willing servants say, Lord, we want to pray for the church of UCC. 
We want to be a spirit-led church, but to be a spirit-led church, we need spirit-filled people. And if you were here this morning and you're like, God, the Spirit of God's working in my life, then you just, you, you don't even have to, you, you, you're probably going to be the first one for it because you want more of God's Spirit because you know how great it is. But pray for your brothers and sisters around you that they would receive that. We want God's Spirit to be released in you. Students, we know that you're coming out of exams, you're tired, you're exhausted. All you're looking forward to is getting home. But you need the Spirit of God. Maybe this semester for you has been tough. Maybe you've fallen in ways that you never even dreamed possible. You need the Spirit of God. Mom, Dad, whoever you are, you need God's Spirit. This has not been an abstract teaching. This is now at the moment of time when you say, Spirit of God, fall fresh on me. Fan into flame the gift of God you've given for me. Let's bow our heads. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, we ask you to come right now. And this is the moment of time that we've been leading up to. And for some people here this morning, this is so uncomfortable and I get it. But Lord, we are supernatural beings. And because we are supernatural beings, we need your supernatural power. I pray, Holy Spirit, I beg of you, Holy Spirit, to come now. Speak even now to the hearts and minds of every person here. Lord, I pray for physical healing this morning, for, for any physical need people have. Lord, we pray for that. Again, we are straws. We're not praying that we know what's going to happen, but instead we just pray in faith, believing, and trust of you. Lord, I pray for those this morning who are dead in their faith, who have encountered Jesus, not the Holy Spirit. I pray, God, that they would come forward and receive the beginning of the Spirit-filled life. Lord, for those here who need emotional touch, who need, who need something for God to do something in their lives, Lord, I pray that they would come as well. Lord, I pray your Holy Spirit would be released even now, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. So here's what's going to happen. The worship team is going to lead us through worship. There's three sets of us up here. Um, please come to either one of us. Neither one of us are any more spiritual than the other. We will all pray for you, and we will anoint you with oil. Once you're anointed with oil, just you can head back to see continue to worship. Continue to pray. If God is speaking to you and you need further prayer at the end of the service, we will continue to pray for you. Whatever we need to do. We want God to have his authority and reign in this service. We are straws. That's all we are. There's nothing special about us. We are just willing straws that are asking God to flow in us. So let's stand. Let's worship now. And as you feel led, you want to come forward, we will pray with you.